Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. ministry of the Holy Spirit. No one is permitted to lead here the same way they came. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus this morning? I believe we can do that better. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Beckoners. By the way, the song we sang yesterday at TNT, the, the song about the harvest, is, is our song. The Beckoners song. I was, I was really thrilled to hear that. So let's celebrate them once again. Great work they're doing. Great, great work they're doing. God bless your hearts in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You can have your seats in God's presence. <laughs> and if you've not lost your voice, welcome to neighborhood church. <laughs> Give a good compliment. <laughs> Hallelujah. Minister Rachel, how's your voice doing? <laughs> Praise God. That was such an amazing, amazing time in God's presence yesterday. You know, and I think one of the reasons why God, you know, performs such miracles, because those are miracles. You couldn't possibly do that by yourself in your room. How many of you believe that? <laughs> you just look one pillow. <laughs> Remember the, the skit with Adara in there? You know, you just look for one pillow and say, let me continue in my dreams. <laughs> All right. But when the corporate anointing comes to the fore, it's amazing what each of us is capable of doing each person you know what you couldn't do in isolation as an individual in your room becomes possible within the context of the corporate anointing that's really powerful so we have every reason to give all the glory and all the credits to God so this doesn't go into your CV as something that you did <laughs> it's something that the Holy Ghost enabled you to do amen all right by the grace of God we'll be wrapping up the shield series today it's been quite um, a series. Is this the 16th or the 17th? This is the 17th. It matches yeah, the uh, existing record. <laughs> Chronicles of a Shepherd Boy was also 17 installments. Praise the name of the Lord. All right. Are you ready for God's word this morning? Amen. <laughs> Some people were pitying me yesterday. I said, you still preach tomorrow? I said, yes, by the grace of God. The grace of God is sufficient. Amen. All right. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. Hallelujah. We can begin our reading from verse 11. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles... And some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The purpose of their giving some of those things is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, it says, till we all come, are we together? Amen. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Amen. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says that we henceforth be no more children. Tossed to and fro and carried about 
with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby the lying waits to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He says one of the purposes of the fivefold ministry gifts, all right, being given to the church, is so that the church could come to a certain stature in the knowledge of God. And he says the effect of coming into that stature is that you will no longer be children. Amen. You will no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the slight of men whereby the language to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. And so we see there that one of the signs of a child, a spiritual child, all right, is that he is tossed to and fro. He's easily tossable. And the reason why he's easily tossable is because he's not anchored. Amen. There's a concept of an anchor with ships. Amen. Where no matter how big a vessel is or how small a vessel is, you can't just drop the vessel on the sea. And say, okay, I've, I've gotten to the bank, I've gotten to the brink or the shore, let me just leave uh, the ship there. I'll meet it there when I come. It's not like a car. I can park somewhere and come back and meet it there. This is on the water. And Bible talks about how that, okay, not, not the Bible, but let me read out, let me read out this, this quick um, right up here about the purposes of anchors in ships. The purpose of an anchor is to keep a ship safe and secure at a desired location or to help control the ship during bad weather. However, to accomplish these vital purposes, just having an anchor is not enough. The anchor must be solid, dependable, and used properly at the right time and the right place. In the same vein as Christians, so that we not become children tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine, it is imperative that we are anchored. When a child of God is not anchored, he becomes a victim of ferocious winds. He becomes a victim. He will be tossed to and fro. There are some signs of spiritual babyhood. One of it is your affinity for cult-like personalities. Amen. There is a way people who have not grown in the things of God gravitate to a cult-like type of Christian group. Because you see, that was exactly what was beginning to happen in the Corinthian church. It, it was a very anointed church. They had all the gifts of the Spirit at work in that church. But somehow they were so carnal, they were still children. He said, I wanted to speak to you as adults in Christ. But he says, you guys are still babes. You're still babes, you're still in need of milk. Because he said, one of you would say, I'm of Apollos. Another would say, I'm of Peter, Cephas. Another will say, I'm of Paul. He said, is Christ now divided? It is a sign when you allow people, personalities to drag you and drive you with their respective winds of doctrine. Because you're not anchored by the word of God himself. When you're not anchored by the word of God, you become a victim of the deficiency of the person you are listening to. You ought to be able to recognize the error. If you are anchored to the truth of God's word. So that you are not tossed to and fro. By winds of doctrine. And the slight of man. Whereby the lion waits to deceive. Because you are anchored. You are not driven by fierce winds. 
Because those winds there that drive the sheep in the Christian context are the doctrines that drive our lives. If you leave a sheep at the brink of a river, overnight you may never even find that sheep again. By, by, by morning, the wind would have blown it away. There is no rudder. There is no anchor. There is nothing that limits its movement. Nothing. It's at the victim. It's at, it's at the mercy, rather, of ferocious winds. And these are the things we need to be careful about. Because when you are not anchored, your life will be overridden by fear. Absolutely. What makes you get rid of the fear in your life is your maturity in Christ Jesus. And so you may have listened to this teaching for the past 17 weeks. If you do not grow up into him in all things, if you do not learn Christ, you will still be victims of fear. Because you do not know any better. The devil comes and he introduces his own wind of doctrine. And you believe it so you are tossed. A person comes and tells you a prophecy that is not true. Something that the word of God vehemently opposes. You have seen in God's word how that his desire is for you to live long. And you are obeying the tenets that pre... Should I say... That suggests that promise. That once you fulfill that condition, you get into that promise. But you remove all of the things you've known in scripture. And you begin to believe what a false prophet has said. You are a child. Tossed to and fro by every wind. Anyone that comes, it eats you. And you move in the direction of that wind. There is no sense of certainty. No conviction. No heart. No assurance of faith. There is a level of conviction you must possess as a Christian. There is a level of boldness you must have such that if anybody comes, even the most intellectual person comes and tries to bamboozle you, you are not bamboozled. You are not moved. You stand steadfast. This is the challenge. A lot of people have remained babes and that's why they are still victims of fear. And so while I was thinking about how we could wrap up this entire teaching series, the Lord began to expose to me three powerful and profound anchor truths, which is the title of my teaching, by the way. Anchor truths. That we could begin to explore and establish ourselves in. That once you are able to establish yourselves in these truths, you are anchored in your spiritual experience. You are anchored. And once you are anchored, it does not matter the size of the wind, the tornado, the storm. It doesn't matter. You will stand strong. You will not become a victim of those wings. Are we still together? Don't anchor your faith to a personality. Did you hear me? Many people have done that. And then because the personality went into a scandal, they shipwrecked their faith. And so some person that you have believed, oh, this is the man of God sent to me, Cephas, Apollos, Paul. Uh, still, we all come. So every of the apostles and evangelist pastors, Ministry gifts, teachers, is to reveal Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Not their knowledge. The knowledge of the Son of God. So they are all paintbrushes painting Christ. One image. They are not to paint themselves. So whenever you go to a place where it does appear that there is an overexaltation of a personality over and above the Lord of the church. That's somewhere to run from. But children are very attracted to that. Because they don't see beyond the cape of the Superman. They are very thrilled and excited by the impressive nature of personalities. And they don't see beyond the person they are... They don't see to the extent of the person that they are representing. They don't see beyond that person in front of them. 
That person is signaling and pointing to a certain person called Christ. Don't be bogged down by the fact that, oh, this guy is my man of God. Be careful. Every one of them is supposed to paint a picture of a certain person called the Christ. Till we all come. That's why God gave the five. Till we all come. So that he can equip the saints, perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man, a mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine and the slight of men. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we open our Bibles to Psalms chapter 46? Amen. <laughs> Psalms chapter 46 from verse 1. The Bible says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in, in trouble. Verse 2 quickly. Therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed it says and though the mountains be, be carried into the midst of the sea verse 3 though the waters thereof roar and be troubled though the mountains shake with the swellings thereof verse 4 it says but there is a river the streams thereof make glad the city of god the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high where i really want to point out is verses 1 to 3 where the Bible begins to talk about how that it does not matter what happens to the earth, the mountains, and the waters. You see, what I'm sharing with you this morning is really profound and I need to pay attention. God tells you the things that you could possibly plug yourself into. That if you plug yourself into those things, whatever happens to those things happens to you. Do you see? Whatever happens to the earth, if you are plugged to the earth, happens to you. Whatever happens to the mountains, if you are plugged to the mountains, happens to you. Those things are impressive, they look everlasting, but they are not eternal. And so it says, there will come a time, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. There will come a time where the Bible calls it, a shaking will occur. A shaking will occur. There is nothing that is everlasting. Nothing. But if you anchor yourself to three everlasting dimensions of God... You can be certain that your faith will remain everlasting. This is the challenge with teaching people that the purpose of the gospel is to satisfy their needs. Amen. So you tell them if you're broke now, get saved. God will sort out your financial problems. Oh, if, if you have problems in your life, get saved and all your problems will go away. If you, if you establish people or if you teach people that or you go to preach the gospel and that's what you present to the people. They come into Christ with such expectations. And what happens first six months when those things do not happen, they begin to believe that the gospel itself is not true because that the gospel was received on the premise of those conditions and those terms. When I come into Christ and all. So the, you have anchored them to things that can be shaken. You've anchored them to things that can be shaken. That's the problem. And when you anchor people to things that can be shaken, whatever happens to those things happens to them. Your faith only lasts as long as the thing you have anchored it to lasts. Amen? So he Hebrews chapter 12. Let's begin to read from verse 25. Hallelujah. Bible says, See that ye refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. 
But now he hath promised saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. And it says, and this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Anything that was made that has a beginning can be shaken. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. The kingdom you're part of is a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He says, everything that has a beginning date will have an expiry date as well. This thing that I'm sharing with you is important. Are you listening to this? You cannot afford to make your decisions, especially decisions that intend to last for a long time, on, on the evidence of temporary things, on the evidence of things that have extinction wired into them. For example, if you allow your self-esteem to be attached to your beauty, you have already put a timeline on how long you would have self-esteem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because anything can mess up with that beauty overnight. Anything. And guess what? Your self-esteem goes in the direction of that which you have anchored it to. You cannot allow your life to be dependent and measured by your career advancement. A disruption in technology can render that competitive landscape useless for life. That you've been, your, your job is to, to drive the yellow cab. And that was what you studied in school. And it's just an app. That will destroy the entire competitive landscape that that industry exists in. And lay on it a whole new frontier. That you were never equipped to compete on. Amen. You can't allow your life to be anchored on politics. You can't make decisions based on the government of another nation. You can't. You can't make decisions based on things that can be shaken. If you try it, whatever happens to those things happens to your faith. Happens to your conviction. When you anchor it to that which can be shaken, whatever happens to those things that you've anchored your faith to, happens to your faith. That when you anchor your faith to a person, whatever happens to that person in his spiritual life happens to your faith. You don't anchor your faith on things that can be shaken. Because this shaking is a promise. Babylon was the greatest kingdom of the old era. Greatest kingdom. They were so great that God had to use them to plunder Israel. <laughs> they were, I mean, the only nation God could use to plunder Israel was Babylon. They were so indomitable. They dominated the entire realm, the entire world at the time. No one would have ever guessed that there will come a time that Babylon will no longer exist. It will just be a relic. Nobody would ever believe that. But today, they don't exist. Because the word of God said so. Because the white stone came to destroy the entire fabric of that community, that nation, that civilization. Babylon would never believe that they would become a thing of the past. Never. In the same vein, when you're going to ask a lady out, don't premise that decision on things that can be seen alone. Don't start from body to soul and then to spirit. Some people never even get to spirit. Now, I'm not talking about the sequence because the sequence obviously starts from the body. 
you see something you like about her, and then you like her, you approach her, maybe a voice, maybe a face, maybe something she did. And so obviously that attracted you. But in terms of the hierarchy of priority, the weight of those three dimensions, one must be the basis of your decision, which is spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when you base the decision to get married to someone on an ephemeral quality that can change, what happens to your love for that person is dependent on whatever happens to that which you have connected that love to. So if you connected it to her face, her figure, and all of those things, whatever happens to that face, that figure, after five children, happens to your love for her. Amen. So you start from the spirit. Anchor your faith to that. Anchor your love to that. Then you grow into the soul and then into the body. That's how it works. That's how you can, by yourself, promise yourself that you can stay with this person for the rest of your life. Because you anchor your faith to something that is not subject to change. Amen. Are we still together, guys? Hallelujah. We need a mobile AC by the time we move on. AC that can be moving. <laughs> At this rate. <laughs> Praise God. So three things that the Holy Spirit shared with me. The three anchors your faith must be connected to. Three anchors. The first one is the fact that the word of God is the presiding truth. The word of God is not an attached document. Amen. The word of God is the presiding truth. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35. It says heaven and earth may pass away. But it says none of my word will pass. Not one. Hallelujah. Not one jot of my word will go unaccomplished. Heaven and earth. You don't fix your faith in things that can pass away. Anchor your faith to these three things. And I can guarantee that your convictions and your faith and your boldness and assurance in the face of temptation will stay strong no matter the circumstance. These three anchors keep you stable, steadfast, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. These three anchors. So you need to believe, number one, that the word of God is the presiding truth. The word of God. And I, I like to eulogize the word of God. You know, many of you have songs that you, you know from beginning to the end. You should have verses of scripture that intoxicate you, amen? How many of you have verses of scripture that you just, you just love? You like to quote them to yourself. Instead of getting on Spotify or, you know, Apple Music and binging on some music. And you know them verbatim. You can sing it out loud. How about you get into God's word? The song of your spirit man. And then begin to read it to yourself. These things excite your spirit man. You See, when you allow yourself to meditate on God's word. And allow yourself to understand how powerful and indomitable and indestructible and incorruptible the word of God is. It strengthens your faith. It makes you believe that it does not matter what you go through. The word of God is still going to be true. Outside and after that which you have gone through. It's still true for all time and eternity. Psalms 119 verse 89. It says forever, O God. It says your word is settled. It is settled in heaven. 
Hallelujah. Verse 96 tells us, Psalms 119, it says, I have seen an end to perfection. I've seen an end to perfection. But it says, your commandments are very broad. They are eternal. I can't see the end of them. I look right, I can't see the end. I look left, I look down, I can't see the... I can't see beneath it. I look above. I can't see over it. The word of God is broad. You can't see the end of it. Isaiah 55, 11, Such is the word that proceeds out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. It, it accomplishes that which I please. And it prospers in that which I have sent it. Amen. This is the power in the word of God. You don't anchor your faith to the economy. Because listen, there was a time. One naira was one dollar. There was a time. Imagine if you had invested in the Naira then. How much will you owe now? Now how much will you have? How much will you owe? For the investment you made when Naira was equivalent to dollar. There is nothing in this. As long as you can see it, it's transient. As long as you can. If it was made, it's transient. You don't anchor your faith on things like that. You don't anchor your belief, your hope. Your aspirations on things that can change. Stop hoping that one man will come and save Nigeria by February next year. Your hope is not in a man. Anything can happen to that man. Anything. Amen. So what happens if that man does not come in? Your hope goes down the drain. Because you have anchored it to that which can be shaken. And the Bible says the promise of a shaking is assured. There will come a time a shaking will come. As a matter of fact, there's an illustration I have that the Holy Spirit gave to me. He will look for the things you have anchored your faith on and deliberately shake them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, hi. how will I prosecute this illustration? But imagine with me. I hope we'll still get to do this on a more elaborate scale as a drama piece because I think it's a really profound illustration. Imagine with me that God is a guest, right? And then he comes to your house as a guest. You are the guest, or rather, you are the owner of the apartment, one-room apartment. The proud owner of a one-room apartment in Lagos on the, main, on the island, island. I was hearing some rains yesterday, and I was like, Lord, have mercy. Two-bedroom apartment, 4.5. Anyways. So, you're a millionaire if you own a one room in some places. Do you see? And then, you know, you put all your hangings and stuff there, awards and amazing stuff, pictures, you know, memories, you know, stuff like that, that you really love. Your TV, your basketball, your, all those things. You hang it there. You pull your messes, you know, uh, picture somewhere. You know, you're just, this is, your, this is your room. You like it. Do you understand? Amen. And then this guest comes in, and he's God. He's God. <laughs> and then you ask him to come in, and he comes in. And let's assume that we are wired to live with ropes connected to the things that we love. Let's assume that. And the more the love you have towards that thing, the larger the rope, the stronger the cord. Do you see? And the things you have not much love and affinity for, they're very you know, tiny threads. But let's assume that's how we walk around. And then the guest shows up and he looks at your life. He looks at you. And he starts from the largest rope. 
And then he sees that it is connected to an award you won some years ago. And he looks at it and he, he just he, he takes it off. And, and he just topples it and the thing breaks. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You're a guest. You're not the owner of this apartment. I'm the owner of this apartment. You sit where I put you. This is your seat. Sit down there. And the guest asks you a question. Do you want me here or not? I want you here, but hey, hey, hey. Don't touch my stuff. Those are my stuff. They're very precious to me. Leave them alone. Do you want me here or not? I can as well leave. Okay. Stay. All right? And then the guest continues to topple everything that means everything to you. And he continues to break every glass, every image, and remove everything that ever meant something to you. And as he's shattering it, you said, you've had enough. It's okay. What I called you to be is a guest. I didn't call you to become the landlord over my own apartment. And he says, it's okay. I can leave now. It's, it's fine. And then he just suddenly realizes that the guest either takes total control of the entire room or he's not a guest at all. Because the guest's, the guest's objective is to make you a guest in your room. So he comes and he topples everything. And he's removing everything. You're bleeding. Agree that you love that which you're connected to. You're bleeding. And you're really sad and you're, you're feeling like, no, you're supposed to sit where I kept you. But that's not the kind of guest God is. God cuts every cord that threatens intimacy with you. Anything that you could possibly have in your life that could threaten his intimacy with you, that is the first thing he attacks. The first thing. What you did not know is that he came with a far bigger Ghana must go truckload of stuff to replace everything that he toppled. You did not see it because he left it at the door. So guess what? He's toppling those things so that you will come to a place of agreement that if all I have is this guest, I'm fine. Hmm. But you didn't realize that once he's done toppling everything and wiping the old things, you know, clean, painting the entire room white, now you're as broke as. <laughs> and then he steps out and brings in everything he brought with him in the first place. But he now knows that now that he has established that you were willing and comfortable having him alone. Everything he represents come with him. Everything he represents then comes with him. But listen, if, you had brought the, if he had brought the bigger stuff into the room, while he's toppling them and he's replacing them with bigger stuff, you have no problem. You're not going to cry. Because after all, this is the bigger stuff than I had before. And so he wants to remove all of those cords and then connect it with him alone. And this is for your security. Because the day the thieves come and take your stuff, you'll be depressed. Because the day an accident happens and it affects one of your stuff, then your life will go in the direction of that which has been stolen. And so he connects you with himself. This is the only cord that has the capacity to change, alter, move, manipulate you. And that's me. This is the reason why the devil infiltrates people with fear. It's because they've attached their cords to things that he can tamper with. This is why Job experienced everything he feared. 
He was living every day on eggshells. I hope my stock will not be stolen. I hope my family will not die. I hope uh, th this investment, the stock, I hope everything will be stable. So every day he will do fear-induced sacrifices because all his faith, hope, aspirations, dreams, confidence about the future was connected to things that can be shaken. That was the whole essence of the entire tribulation he went through. So that he will come to a place and agree that God, you are my essence. You are everything. If I place my confidence in you, I am confident. If I place my confidence in something that can be shaken. This is why suicide and depression has increased in our generation more than anything in previous generations because the bulk of our esteem is attached to followers likes and shares go check it out it's 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 a stat that is verified no generation has ever experienced the kind of depression that our generation has experienced it's because whatever you do you put it online and you're checking every two minutes every four minutes who has liked it how many have seen it what did they see what is the comment section saying you know someone said you know Lenny Ottawa have you? comment section if you don't understand that. Because I think I saw it on Emmanuel's status. I found that very hilarious. Praise God. Comment section. And then you are depressed for the next one week. Because somebody in the comment section said something about your figure, your shape. And then that's it. It's the era of body shaming. You know. The era where people are no longer objective because they are afraid of hurting people's feelings. Because people's feelings are so connected to everything these days. People's feelings are connected to how they look. They take themselves too seriously. You are not your face. You are a spirit man. You are not your career. You are not your CV. You are not your salary. You are not. You are the image of God. Come on now. That's who you are. And guess what? Nothing can touch that one. But you have anchored your faith, your life, your confidence on those things that can't be shaken. And then the devil tampers with those things and fear enters your heart. In fact, he doesn't even need to tamper with them before fear enters your heart because you know those things are not eternal. So you are afraid. You are afraid. You are afraid. Because those things you have placed your faith on can be shaken. But when you place your faith on the word, huh, the devil cannot manipulate you with the result of what you are believing for. Because the word of God is your consolation, not the things you are believing for. If those things don't come, you are still in as much faith as you had when you started praying, even after you, you stopped praying. Because your faith is not anchored to the outcome of your prayer point. It's not. So someone died while you were young. And you said you will stop believing God. You're not believing God did not change what had always been true. He exists. Not to corroborate your unique experience. He exists outside of your little experience. So you can use your little experience to judge the vastness of his existence. And say because of your own tiny little existence and experience, he does not exist. It is he if he stops to exist that you stop existing. It is not you that if you stop existing, it would affect his existence. He is the one that is more. He is more. Hallelujah. So think about that illustration for a moment. How many wires do you have connected to you? 
And how strong are the cords? I don't touch, I don't touch it. Ah. Some people, their homes are full of relics. Things that ought to be in museums. Because I don't touch it. I can't give anyone this one. Ah, it was my grandmother that brought it from me in the year. In fact, you know, she was the one that shook Queen Elizabeth when she came to Nigeria. So she, she gave me the hand glove. She entered first. So I can't give anybody. And our lives are so connected to things that can be shaken. This is the source of depression. This is it. You're depressed because your life is connected to what can be shaken. That's why you're depressed. So take that achievement from that woman who boasts as the first, most this, most that, and then she has nothing to boast about again. Remove everything from Paul. He's still boasting up and down. In fact, he had everything that every man, in fact, more than the men in his era had, he counted it but dung, so that he could attain unto the excellence of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he could know Jesus. He made everything else irrelevant. How can you count PhD as dong? How do you count traveling the whole world as dong? How do you count marrying the most beautiful woman in the world as dong? He said, when you are referring to Jews and Hebrews, I am the most pristine of them. When you are referring to Pharisees, I am the highest ranking among them. But every of these things that I have achieved with my natural life before I met Jesus, I counted it as dong. And I connected to the eternal reality of his nature, his essence, most defined by his word. So when I connect to that, what can shake the word? Forever, oh God, your word is settled. Forever. Not for a season. Not for a moment. Forever. It is settled in heaven. I have seen the end of perfection. But your word still exceeds. Your word is very broad. Your commandments are broad. Hallelujah. Psalms 19, if you begin to read from verse 7, the Bible talks about the word of God. In using different analogies, he said, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. Hallelujah. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. He says, the statutes of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart. He says, the commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten the eyes. Hallelujah. He says the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. That means the fear of the Lord is one of the proofs that you have the word of God. That's the first time you see the word of God compared to the fear of God. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You cannot say you love the word and not fear him. Because what will make you love his word is because of the fear you have for him. Because his word is the highest opinion concerning any matter. Has God spoken? If he has spoken and I believe that word is because I fear him. I'm not going to start exalting the word of an opinion on social media above the word of God. If I fear the Lord, it's because I've exalted his word. Do you understand? The Bible says that is the beginning of wisdom. Because everything there is referring to the word of God. And then somebody just slots in the fear of God. And you're wondering, so that means the fear of God is equivalent to the word of God. If you do not read and study and meditate on the Bible, you do not fear God enough because you do not seek his opinion concerning every matter. That's what it means. It is who you fear the most, you obey the first. Do you understand? Everybody has spoken. Uh, as my father has spoken, what did he say? Uh, that's the person I'm going to follow because that's the one I have reverence for. It doesn't matter what any other person says. He says the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. He says the judgments of God and true are righteous altogether. 
more are they to be desired than gold? Wow. Right now, Ghana wants to start trading in gold. Instead of using dollars for their oil, which I think is a brilliant policy, they want to start using gold. Because that one is something they have. It's not subject to fluctuations. And gold is one of the most uh, long-lasting, should I say, commodities, all right, in, in the stock market. It's one of the ways you even edge your portfolio against volatility. You use gold to just balance things because it has a way of staying stable for a long time. Praise God. All right? He says, more are there to be desired. So I'm not eulogizing gold here. It's still the word I'm talking about. Right? More are they to be desired than gold. He says, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. So when you are reading your Bible, do you lick your lips? You should. Amen. Sweeter than the honey. When the revelations begin to hit you, oh dear God. You will get excited. You will run around your room. You will jump. You will pace. You will just get excited in your spirit. Because there's more are they to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. It says, for by them your servants are warned. Wow. That means if you will live according to the word of God, you will never make a regret, regretful decision in your life. That's what he's saying. He says, by the word of God... You eliminate errors, stagnation, stumblings, and fumblings in your path. For by the word, your servant is warned. This thing, Omaleyo, <laughs> if, you, if you watched your Yoruba movies well, it will have a comeback. <laughs> it will haunt you. Don't try it. This brother, say no to him. This sister, she is not the way forward. For by trusting in the word, your servant is warned. And Bible says, in keeping them, there's great reward. This same word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. That I will not sin against thee. Verse 11, Psalms 9. Verse 9, he says, How shall a young man cleanse his ways? He said, it's by taking heed therewith according to the word of God. That's how he cleanses his ways. It's not by making projections and manipulations and backward integrations and all of those interesting models. It's not by reading. <laughs> it's just stick with the word. Of course, be smart. Use your sense. But don't lean on it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Using his word as the rudder. Using his word. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Don't just go about your stuff as if you have nobody to be accountable to. No. In all your ways, as I'm about to do this, Lord, I am acknowledging you. Lord, I commit this into your hands. And Bible says, he shall direct your path. That's how you cleanse your ways. It's with the word. Hallelujah. More are they to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Hallelujah. That's the word of God for you. Perfect converts the soul. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It is clean. Praise the name of the Lord. Nothing more profound than the word of God. He has exalted his word above his name. So the first thing you need to understand and that you need to anchor your faith on is the presiding truth of the word. 
That is, the word of God is not a subcategory of matter. No. It's a presiding truth. It's a truth that governs all other truths and realities. The presiding truth. That is, everything may be against the word. The word will still win. Because it's a presiding truth. The Bible says nothing can be done against the truth. But for it, no matter how you fight a man that is living according to the word, you are helping him. And if you don't help him, he's still helped. Don't you understand? You attack him, he's being helped faster. You leave him unattacked, God is optimizing everything he's doing. Somehow, he does not lose. He just doesn't. He's connected to that which cannot be shaken. Don't connect your faith to a man. Hoping that he will win the elections. We hope he will win. We pray he does. But our hope is not in him. That was what made the people of Israel offended at Jesus. They thought he was going to come and save them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And this is the savior we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. Come and save us. And then he just came and did his own assignment. Redeemed people from sin. Went to be with the Lord. And we're like, ah, no, no. This is anticlimactic. We expected somebody to come in a white horse and save us. And then remove all the soldiers that are trying to beat us and enslave us. And he left that undone. That means there are weightier matters than economic emancipation. Do you realize that? There are weightier matters. They asked him when he was about to be ascended. They asked him, when are you going to redeem Israel and restore it to its glory? When? Give us this answer. This is what matters a lot to us. He says, forget about that one. Don't bother about the things that the Father has committed into his hands. You shall receive power. And it is so that you can be a witness. Who knows that perhaps there is a certain economic situation that is most compatible with the reception of faith. Who knows that if people get too emancipated... They rule the word. They loathe the things of God. Because that's exactly what has happened to some nations. So much development at the expense of their spiritual growth. <laughs> I'm not saying Nigeria will remain the way it is. But maybe. Maybe the reason for some of the things, the agony, the agitations, is because there's a greater purpose God wants to achieve. Through this context that Nigeria has found itself. And until this gospel is preached, what you are looking for? Don't put your trust in man. The person, your neighbor around, have they heard the gospel? Because in heaven, God will not ask Nigerians, are you a file here? Ah, no. It doesn't work like that. And listen, no matter the enjoyment you have in Nigeria, in one moment of eternity, it will be forgotten, whether hell or heaven. One moment. Heaven will overcompensate. And hell, it would optimize. Do you understand? So whatever you suffered in Nigeria, in hell, they will multiply the heat by a certain amount. At least the only challenge is that you would have been a little familiar with. At least you would know like, okay, I've been there. There's this hilarious guy now. How do we come in? Anyways. So I've been there before, so it's not so bad. The truth. Heaven will overcompensate for whatever sufferings you had on earth. Overcompensate. One moment in heaven, you've forgotten your heritage as a Nigeria. You've forgotten it. You know all these things that people say, why did you give birth to me in Nigeria? Keep quiet. If you understand what heaven promises, ah, 
You just focus on the things that matter to heaven now. Focus on those things. Forget about the emancipation of Nigeria. And I'm not saying you should not be a good citizen and love Nigeria and be patriotic and all of those things. Vote if you have a PVC. I'm angry because they disenfranchised me. Well, that, I'm not bringing my vex for, you know, on the pulpit. But that's, that's, the, that's the truth. If you have your PVC, vote. And vote your conscience. Vote right. Have faith and hope for the better Nigeria. But hope more in the new Jerusalem. Hope more in Zion. Connect your faith to that which cannot be moved. Connect your faith to that which cannot be shaken. Not the policy, not the man, not the politician. Of all people, politician. You connect your faith to a politician. You know yo-yo. <laughs> Serious, guys. You don't connect your, th- your faith to things that can be moved. You connect your faith to that which cannot be moved. Let them remove everything. That was the secret of the Matthias. Because the Sahandrians are looking for the things that matter to them. They don't find it. It's only this gospel that matters to them. Who will destroy, who will kill, who will, who will still preach this thing. Oh. The only thing is to get us killed. That's the only, and guess what? As you are killing us, seven more people are rising in our stead. You can't stop the gospel. You can't. If people will become more passionate about it. So connect your faith to the eternal nature of the word of God. And you will see that your, your faith, your confidence will soar. Don't connect your faith to when you get married. Some people have stopped believing God because they've been heartbroken. You have reduced God to a yes or no. To a proposal. So why is God not answering? Why everybody's getting married? Oh, the, the purpose of heaven is to get you a husband. Don't you understand that marriage was used as an illustration? Marriage is an ayaba. Do you understand? Marriage was, ah, God wants to explain the love between Christ and the church. He said, what can I use? Okay, let us come up with this concept called marriage. So that Paul can use it in Ephesians 5. Because when he begins to talk about marriage, he said, listen, don't think I'm talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about Christ and his church. Marriage is an illustration. The real marriage in heaven is between Christ and his bride. And you don't need to be married to be part of that marriage. Amen. That is why the type of marriage we celebrate here does not exist in heaven. Amen. Don't connect to things that can be shaking. Connect to that which cannot. And your faith will soar. Your confidence will rise. Your ogo will bear. <laughs> That's the truth. It will, it will just come up. You will just be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Because you know that this thing that I'm connected to can never be shaken. Nothing can move me. I'm like Mount Zion. That cannot be moved. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. Things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in darkness. And darkness could not comprehend it. The Bible says there was a man. His name was John. He was sent to be a witness of that light. So that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. But was sent to be a witness of that light. He says that was the true light. That lights every man that comes into the world. The Bible says he was in the world. And it was, the world was made by him. But the world did not recognize him or know him. He said he came unto his own. And his own rejected him and received him not. But he said as many as received him to them. He gave power to become sons of God. Even them that were born not of flesh or the will of man or by blood but by the will of God the Bible says and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father 
full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, of this fullness we have received and grace for grace. Remember, this is the eulogy of the word. It says, the word is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So anyone who has not received the light of this life through the word of God, he's living in darkness. He said, he's the one that lights every man that comes into this world. And if he has not lit you, you are living in that. You abide in darkness. That is the word of God. Of his fullness we have received. And grace for grace. Apostleship. Capacity. Glory. Light. Understanding. Comes from his word. Connect to the presiding truth. The word of God. Connect to God. Connect. He said, he said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. What has glory in it? Because when the word becomes flesh, it's glorious. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So when you become one with the word of God, your life will be glorious. People will look at you and then the glory will shine forth. Arise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you because light of his word has dawned on your heart. You are living. You have turned the tables of stone to pots of manna. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. This is the eulogy of the word. Are we still together? Hallelujah. James 1.21. Laying aside every superfluity of naughtiness. Receiving the engrafted word. Which is able to, to save you. Save you and your souls. The word of God can save you. But we don't, we don't place priority on it because it, can, it cannot be seen. Right? You can't really, how do you touch the word? You know, it's your heart. Even the physical presence of Jesus. Listen to this. Even the physical presence of Jesus. Jesus does not design for his physical presence to be the one to sustain your faith. He does not design it that way. Because if that was the case, only those who saw Jesus, the 500 after the 70, would have stayed saved. Everybody who ever believed post, the 500 who saw him post-resurrection, believed on the strength of the word, the witnessing. Are you hearing me? So you, you, can't, you can't, because you didn't have the privilege to see the body of Jesus, to physically experience him. He has exalted his word above his physical presence. He has. If you believe his word, you have done well. If you needed to see him face to face to believe, you will still have a lower level of faith. Blessed are they who do not see but yet believe. This is the word we're talking about. Connect to the word. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the th things which are seen are eternal. The things which are seen are temporal rather. And the things which are not seen are eternal. Connect your faith to that which is eternal. And watch your life soar. Watch your faith grow strong. Watch fear die. What does fear want to touch? Job said, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. Because he connected his life and his ambitions and his dreams to things that the devil can touch. Remember, God told him, don't touch his life. As an act of mercy. Because he had even made himself available for the devil to touch his life. If not for that instruction that God made, his life may have been gone. Amen. Are we still together, guys? <laughs> What's the second anchor truth? The second anchor truth is that God loves you. Don, God loves you. Do you believe that? He does. Everlasting truths. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. 
Bible talks about how that he has loved you with an everlasting love. And it says with loving kindness, he has drawn you to himself. He loves you. He loves you. You know, I like the way the Bible puts it. He has loved you. He has concluded his love for you. You are the one still trying to accept it. He has concluded it. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's past and it's eternal at the same time. He has loved you. It's a foregone issue in the corridors of heaven. Do you love this one? No, no, no. He has loved you with an everlasting love. And it says with his loving kindness, he has drawn you to himself. Wow. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 54. Chapter 54 verse 10. For the mountains shall depart. Look at the same use of words. The mountains shall depart. The hills shall be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. The Lord that hath mercy on you. He loves you. You need to believe that. You know the challenge is that we don't believe God. That's why. We don't believe that. You, you, you see, you are more familiar with what you have done in the past. So those things stand against the word of God. You know what you have done. But can you just be like Paul? Do you know how Paul just believed everything the moment he got saved? Can only be supernatural. He did not allow anything from his past affect what he believed about God in the present and going into the future. He said, I've wronged no man. Eh? <laughs> Paul. He just believed the word. That you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He believed it. He believed that it was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He just believed it. Someone that killed, murdered, persecuted Jesus. Persecuted the church. And just moments after he got saved, Babadi speaks, saying things like, I have wronged no man. He just believed the word. The challenge is that you're so acquainted with your past. That is why it is standing against your reception of the love of God. And guess what? If your knowledge of your past is stronger than your knowledge of the word, you will not believe that God loves you. You will not believe it. And if you don't believe that God loves you, it won't affect you. It won't impact your life. It won't positively influence you. First John chapter 3, verse 20, 21. He says, listen. If your heart condemns you. He says, the truth is this. God is greater than your heart. God has a different opinion. Are you hearing this? If your heart condemns you because your heart is familiar with what you did. He says, God is greater than your heart. What? God is greater than that condemnation you are feeling. God. If your heart condemns you, you have the right to not believe that heart. Believe God's word. If your heart condemns you, God is greater. But he says, if your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence towards God. So that God loves you is not sufficient for you to have confidence towards him. It must impact your heart. If your heart condemns you, God is greater. He has a different opinion. When you come to believe that opinion about you, then you have confidence towards God. So that God loves you is not sufficient for you to have confidence towards him. It's not sufficient. You must believe that he loves you. You must believe that he loves you. You see, you don't educate God about your past by telling him, don't you know what I've done? So you feel like God will be better educated to make a better on whether he wants to love you or not 
when you educate him a bit more about the things you just did yesterday, last night, two years ago. No. You don't educate him more. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want to be educated. You know what he did? That is the only part of God's life where he has no memory. It is as far as your sins are concerned. He's a devil that catalogs sins. God doesn't. Once he forgives, it's washed. Can you go and find the dead that you washed? Go and bring it. It's washed. Washed away by the blood of Jesus. Bible says as far as the east is from the west. That is how far apart he has cast off your sins away from him. Another part said he has placed your sin in the sea of forgetfulness. Wow. He doesn't remember. But your remembrance has hindered you from coming to him. You are the one that continues to remember. He says, educate your mind afresh. So two things. How do you educate your heart? Number one, stop sinning. If you stop sinning, you will stop confusing your heart. Stop sinning. Your heart knows your directions of God in Christ Jesus. But you are doing what righteousnesses don't do. Why are you, what are you doing? You are confusing your heart. And your heart will now stand as a middle wall of partition between you and entering into God's presence. Because your heart will keep condemning you. And if your heart condemns you, you don't have confidence towards God. So stop sinning. Align your heart with your actions. Align your heart with your actions. Stop sinning. And number two, exalt the word of God above your memory. Some of you remember in graphic terms the last sin you committed. You remember it. The devil brings it in a fresh way every time. And it stops you from evangelizing. It stops you from giving. It stops you from serving in the house of God. It stops you from being a blessing. That picture is so graphic. But you don't have memory of the word of God. That said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know another thing he said? He said, listen, he said, I have engraven you on the palm of my hands. He says, your walls are continually before me. Did, did your mother love you so much and say, ah, come on me. What's your name? Let me go and get a tattoo of your name. I'm just engraving. And, and, and the word engraving is stronger than tattoo. Because he's a rock. He's not flesh. He doesn't tattoo. He has no flesh. He's a rock. So you can only engrave him on a rock. So it is how indelible you have been. You have been engraved on him. Your name, your face. He says your walls. That is your life. It's continually before him. He sees you. As you woke up this morning, you came late, he saw you. <laughs> so I'm just telling you so I'm not saying anything else but he saw you as you woke up you brushed as you brushed and then hair number 239 and a half came down he, he saw it as you thought that thought in your heart he saw you your name is engraven is it engraven or engraved engraven good engraven on the palm of his hands and he says your walls are continually before him. He is almost obsessed with you. This is God, oh, the God of the universe that has a thousand and one things to attend to. He just watches your plasma TV. And he's smiling and he's blushing because he loves you. Yes. Oh, That's the truth. Your walls. Your walls. Hi. Your walls are continually before him. What will make anything come to your mind to think that God doesn't love you because something happened in your life that is not consistent with your idea of what life should look like your own idea because it contravenes what you think love should be 
Remember, love does not define him. He defines love. So when you say, I love someone, you see, there is a, there's an image that comes to your mind. When you say you love someone, what should come to your mind is that you got the person. Because God is love. God is the one that defines love. But Hollywood has given us ideas that see, when you're in love with someone, you're uncontrollable around them. You have sex with them before you get married. You, are just, you can't help it. You just, you just cannot help it. Your emotions are running on what's the highest gear. You're running. That is what Hollywood and all the Nollywoods and all the woods, that's what they've... And Zero does not even try. Because they don't, they don't make love attractive to Misha. <laughs> the other day my wife and I saw a clip <laughs> what is wrong with two of you why are you under the shower with your clothes and you're just looking at each other like this <laughs> and then several scenes of the same thing this. praise God apologies if you are if you are a lover of the world <laughs> amen but those, those words, what they've done is to create an idea of love that may not be consistent with God. God loves, he dies. <laughs> That's how he loves. You, you bash our mind, you say you love me. What was that? Is that, is that how much? Wait, come, come. Let's, let's examine this, your love. <laughs> say you love, uh, what happened? <laughs> I love you, I love you. I'll give you what? Jesus died for me. Match it to hand and you come and talk to me. <laughs> Only bloody men. Eh? That's it. <laughs> Praise. Amen. But that's the truth. God loves you. Some of you will love a, a football star so much, you will tattoo him. He does not know you. He doesn't know you. You, you, know, you love someone, you, you will just make your life about that person. When Jesus died, the person did not die. Oh. The person does not even know you. Jesus, he said, your walls are continually before him. This is the God of the universe still preoccupies with coming to check you out every single day. And then you neglect him. He says, ah, you know, I want Bonaboy to, to follow me back on IG. I want, I want this guy to notice me. And then you're crushing for someone and you, can't, you, 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 you lose yourself when you're around the person. Hey, she's coming around me. Oh. How will I cope now? Hey, man. Whose breath is in his nostrils? Whose breath? There's one cord God will just touch like this. Pim like this. And the person will just... That person is the one you're exalting his love above the love of Jesus. The love of God. And guess what? The love a person can have towards you is only as long as the person's opinion of you stays the same. And that opinion can change. That person's opinion can change. Divorces have proven so. The person's opinion can change. Can change tomorrow. Can change anytime. But God said, when you didn't have the credentials that are lovable, I died for you. So guess what? You are far better now than you were when he died. Hmm. Do you understand? You have grown. You are, much, you are in a far better state now than the state you were when he chose to die for you. So guess what? Your credentials will not change his mind. You've done a lot of good things in your life, if you will give yourself some credit. But you had not even done anything good when he died. 
For a good man, some people may even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Why do you keep questioning his love towards you? Because of your knowledge of yourself. That's why. Number one, stop sinning. Number two, exalt the word of God above your memory. And you'll be fine. Hallelujah. These are anchor truths that will kill fear in your life. They will just destroy fear. <laughs> and just connect to these truths that God's word is everlasting. And I believe it with all my life. That God loves me. Number three, he's coming back for you. Yes. Yes. Jesus is coming back for you. When he comes and he does not see you, he will say, where is Gabriel? I want to see him. And they'll say, ah, he's here, he's here. Yes, I've been looking for you. Yes. He's coming back for you. He won't miss anybody. There's nobody that belongs to him that he will miss. So what he did with the disciples is a type and shadow of what he will do with the church. It says, there's none of the people you've given to me that are lost. Every one of them is here, present. Except the son of perdition. And it was because Judas was never sincere with himself. So God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for sincerity. Follow him with sincerity and truth and love and just be honest with God. He will perfect you. He will make your life holy. People sin consistently because they are not honest. You prefer sin to God. And he will let you have what you want. And sin will lead you to where it leads people to hell. Do you understand? But if you say you love God and you're sincere, that means you wouldn't love sin at the same time. Love not the world. Because if the love of the Father is in you, you can't say in the same breath that you love the world. You can't love the world and love God. He sees through all of that facade and that deception. You can't mock God. He sees when you're sincere, he will perfect you, he will make you whole, he will forgive you. But once you're not sincere, you're trying to play a game with him. You use the benefit of his grace while continuing to sponsor your lifestyle of lasciviousness. Uh, you say, no, 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 no. That's not the purpose of my blood. No. That's not the purpose of my blood. Amen? So what you need to establish is sincerity. I'm not saying you become a perfect man. No. But no one has ever been perfect without being sincere. No one. Amen? You must want to please him. You must really desire him. He will perfect you. So the last thing is... He's coming back for you. First John chapter 3, from verse 3, it says, Beloved. It says, Now are we the sons of God. It says, For it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. Now he says in verse 4, he says, Whoever has this truth purifies himself. Whoever has this truth purifies himself. So there are purifying truths. If you're expecting Jesus to come, you'll be pure. Because he meets you pure. Hallelujah. Occupy till I come. Till I come. Not for a season. Till I come. Hallelujah. Now let's just read some. I, I think there are really some, some really fantastic and amazing verses of scripture that buttresses this. Let's go to John 14 first. As we begin a round of three anchor truths. This is a good place to wrap up this series because... If you connect your faith to these three things, you can't fear again. Because you know what this last one tells you? That let's even say the sickness never gets healed. Let's even say the job never comes. Let's even say the husband never shows up. Let's even say this life is as miserable as it gets. 
Jesus is coming for you. So, so what are your fears? He's coming. Because the worse the condition of the earth, the faster you're likely to go. Abi? Abi? Abi now. Say, ah, this sickness, hey, if the sickness does its worst, it will kill you. And then that means your Jesus has come. So my point is, with this faith, with this understanding, with this hope, nothing can scare you. Let even say your prayers don't get answered. Jesus is coming back. He's coming for you. And there's no weeping in heaven. There's no gnashing of teeth. No, not in heaven. Hallelujah. So let's go to John chapter 14. And the truth is this. What makes this one even more true is because the first ones are true. If the word of God is everlasting and it's true, and God loves you, then you must believe this because this is in his word. And the only reason why he has it as a promise is because he loves you. John chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. So he's trying to address troubled hearts here. Do you understand? When your heart is troubled, when you're afraid, he's addressing you. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. That's a very interesting statement to make. How can there be mansions in a house? As though you are large father's houses. In my father's house, there are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. That means he's preparing mansions for each of us. Each. This God is amazing. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. It's so that where I am, there you may be also. The entire redemption plan, the entire redemption story is so that it would, have, it would not have eternity without us. That's the whole idea. Because he could have stayed in heaven, it would be fine, it would be good. We are the ones that will suffer, you know, the consequences of our actions. But he came, he risked everything so that he could have the chance of spending eternity with you. You need to believe this. Jesus is coming back. There is a heaven for real. And there is a hell for real. You need to believe these things. I go to prepare a place for you. No love story beats this. He made his entire life just about saving you. And then he's making his entire afterlife about preparing a place for you. How, how do you explain it? Before he came, he was dreaming to come save you. Then he spent his entire lifetime on earth saving you. Then he's done with saving you. He's going back to heaven, making intercession for you, preparing a place for you. Abba, who are you? What is man that you are so mindful of him? What is man? What did I do for God? What? What? He just made me the object of his affection. That's all. I didn't do jack. And the least he's asking for is that I just serve him, love him back, worship him, give, serve, live a holy life so that I can stay rapturable. You think it's because of him that you live a holy life? It's because of me. Because no living will enter into the new Jerusalem. No fornicator, no idolater, no covetous. None of those people would enter into heaven. So it is because of you that you stay unleavened. You stay in that posture that the first fruit will come. Hallelujah. This, this, this God is amazing. This God is. So when I see people who say they are Christians, but they don't love God with all their life, like your life, your life does not feel that you are in love with Jesus. There's a problem, though. It's only your car that on Sunday that knows that you're a Christian. Your car, 
your bolts. Those are the only things that know you. Your, your, your bank account doesn't know you're a Christian. Your YouTube doesn't know you're a Christian. No, they don't. Your shadow does not know you're a Christian. Your shadow follows you everywhere you go. Your shadow doesn't know you're a Christian. When you have come to realize that God loves you this much, what it ought to do to you is to compel your service. It's to compel your worship. You know what happened to the woman who broke the alabaster box? She was destined for hell. She, she had no business becoming a Christian. She was a hooker. She sold her body for money for returns. And of course, in order to keep up the merchandise, she needed to have very expensive colognes so that she could attract her suitors, right? So she had this very expensive one that, of course, was still remaining after she was saved. She couldn't do the business anymore. And the most expensive asset she had was that cologne. And then she looked at Jesus. What can I give back? Jesus did not ask for it. That should be our attitude every time. Jesus did not ask for the cologne. She was the one that said... What is the most expensive thing I can just offer? My body as a living sacrifice. That was what she did. She carried the essence of her entire investment, savings and everything. The highest commodity in her assets. She took it and broke it at his feet. Broke it. And then just, just did. It was a Jewish ceremony she did on Jesus right there. Wow. The embalming process. It was almost as though she entered into character, a prophetic character. Wow. Just because she loved the Lord. She was not a prophet. She just entered into a prophetic character and did what the scriptures had already foretold. Wow. And she did all that, wiped his, don't go and waiting for someone to come and wipe your hair or wipe your leg because only Jesus can afford that, quite honestly. Amen. Yeah, a guy, you sit down, a lady comes with her hair rubbing your leg. <laughs> the Lord is your strength. <laughs> the Lord is your strength. Sincerely, these are some of the questions that I intend to ask Jesus. Jesus, how you take handle that thing? How you handle them? <laughs> but, you know, he didn't have that nature of sin. So he could handle it. Amen. So it's not licensed for you to say, after all, Jesus had a woman. Number one, it was in a public space. At least we know that. If you know there's nothing there, let it be in a public place. Praise God. But my point here is the fact that this woman gave her all. And that was where Jesus now gave the parable because people started complaining and all that. Then Jesus gave the parable of if you believe you've been forgiven much, you will love much. So the challenge is that our revelation of our forgiveness is not strong. That's the challenge. You believe that, see... Now, small remain, make I just be holy. Even before Jesus came, self. Now, just small remain. So, what Jesus' blood did was not so much. I contributed something to this whole salvation package. Yes. But the woman loved much because she believed that, ah, why would God save me? She had such a very graphic revelation of her undeservedness. And so, she gave everything. But those that don't love much, they believe that the one's doing God a favor, coming to church. Yeah, the ones doing God a favor, reading his Bible, the ones doing God a favor, praying, and all those things. They believe that you are privileged to have me in your church. You know, many other clubs would have loved to have me, but I chose the church. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. When the revelation of your undeservedness comes on you, 
you will give everything you have. And still be asking God, what more can I give? Because he has given everything for you. Praise the name of the Lord. We're still on John 14. Hallelujah. John 14. All right. So the Bible says, he said, I will go to make a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Many people don't reference 1 Thessalonians. It's a, it's a rare reference. But it's a very powerful one when it comes to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sorry, can you help me turn off the fan? It keeps disrupting my... Thank you. 1 Thessalonians is after... You're still looking for it. It's after Micah. Micah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 13, the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Amen. We have hope. So when people die, for example, our loved ones, we don't mourn like every other person mourns. And it's not because we're cruel. It's because we know we'll see them again. Why should I mourn so badly? There are some people that have traveled abroad. They've jacked by you. will never see them again. But you don't mourn. <laughs> right? You don't mourn. But you, if, if people don't have this understanding, they will mourn. They'll be like, ah, I'll never see him again. No, you will see him if you're saved. There is a hope we have. No other Christian or no other religious group has that kind of hope. We do. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then also we, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, hallelujah, and remain unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, shall not prevent them which are asleep. God will give some priority to those who had, who had died before his coming. Do you see? All right. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we ever be with him. With the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort. That is, if everything goes so bad in this life, there is still something to comfort you about the afterlife. The afterlife is not going to come after the order of this life, no. It's going to be a totally different experience entirely. Chapter 5 from verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness. That day shall not overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Listen. Therefore, let us not sleep. As do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken at night. Remember, this is beyond day, night. It's talking about something deeper. Okay? Just like we shared last week and then two weeks ago. But let us who are of the day be sober. Let's live in the light all the time. Whether during the physical day or night. Let's be sober, be vigilant. Alright? Putting on the breastplate of faith, of love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we be awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Amen. Then it begins to talk about honoring those who labor in the word amongst you. But there's something I'd like to pick out from there. But before I get there, let's go quickly to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. Powerful. He said, you see, you need to believe that Jesus is going to come again. Because your entire Christian faith is anchored on that reality. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 was beginning to tell folks because it appeared that the Sadducees and some other, you know, cult-like groups, Christian groups, quote-unquote, were infiltrating the church and telling people that resurrection does not exist. People will not rise again on the third day, all right, or on the last day, quote-unquote. And then Paul had to write to them and was telling them that, guys, if resurrection does not happen, then what are we doing following Jesus? Let's eat today and tomorrow we die. There's no point. You know, binge, go to parties, live in sin, debauchery, drink, like waste your life. There will be no repercussion. There's no hell. There's no heaven. But if Jesus will come back again, ah, <laughs> you better organize your life. Praise the name of the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 3, he was talking about how that a, a truth was delivered unto him. So he was releasing that truth back to them. So he was saying that Jesus came to die for our sins. It is not according to fables. He said it's according to scripture. He says he died and he rose on the third day according to scripture. What I want to establish there is this. What we believe about God is according to scripture. If the word of God is not true, then nothing I've said today is true. God does not love you. Jesus is not coming back. Everything that we have established today is premised on the truth and the integrity of the word of God. How do you know that Jesus will come back again? Everything that the word of God ever prophesied happened. Not just as a revelational book, but even as a historical document. Archaeologists visit the Bible. Not because they are looking for revelation. They want to discover more things that the Bible had already pre-foretold, right? That they may not have experienced because every other thing that the Bible had already said happened has already happened. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the reason why we believe the Bible is not just because, well, it excites us spiritually. It's because it's actually a true document. It's a proper narrative of things that actually happened. So Jesus died. It's a truth. It's a fact. It is verified by archaeologists around the world. Jewish documents are bound to corroborate that truth. Every other grave, their bones are there. But Jesus's, his grave is empty. And there is no conspiracy theory that can tell us where they hid his body. Because that's what they, they tried to create after he raised from the dead. They, tried, they, they started sharing news about how the, his disciples came to steal it away. Where did they put it? You can't hide a dead body. Where did they put it? Where? He's risen forever. Hallelujah. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, then you must believe that he's coming back again. Because the same Bible said it. If there's no resurrection from the dead, there's no point. Because whatever happened to him, he's the first fruit. Would, see, there's another feast. It's called the feast of the harvest. There's the feast of the first fruit, and then there's the feast of the harvest. That one is beyond first fruit, though. Everybody join. That's the harvest. And it's the feast of trumpets that heralds the harvest. Ah. See, uh, the Bible is too, too, too solid. Everything is there. Everything. 
So Jesus is coming back. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is coming back. Tell your neighbor, therefore, remain rapturable. Do your face the way I'm doing it. Remain rapturable. <laughs> Praise God. Yes, remain rapturable. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first fruit. Let me read a part so you can see that. Verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith also is in vain. Yea, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up from the dead, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. And you are still yet in your sins. <laughs> then they also which are fallen also are asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. It says we have all men most miserable. Because we will live, we'll lose on two ends. We would have lost all the parting and sin and the pleasure and for nothing. <laughs> we will not, we'll not gain anything for that. If only in this life we have hope, we have all men most miserable. What I want to establish finally is in 1 Thessalonians that we have just read. And then I'll juxtapose that with 1 Corinthians 13. Alright? Very powerful. Look at what the Bible says here in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. It says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Everything that I just told you to anchor your life on is verified in Scripture as the three eternal things. Amen? The first one is faith. That's what the Word of God produces. The second one is love. And the third one is hope. These three things will anchor your faith and disturb fear for the rest of your life. They will eliminate fear from your experience. Praise the name of the Lord. Faith Hope and love. Of course, 1 Corinthians puts it as faith, hope, and love. 1 Thessalonians puts it as faith, love, and hope. In terms of sequence, that's the sequence. You believe, you receive God's love, and then you hope, all right, for Jesus to show up and take you home. Because nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Father, we give you praise, and we give you glory. So, my encouragement to you today is anchor your faith on these three things. Anchor your faith on these three things. Anchor your confidence on these three things. God's word never fails. Number two, God loves you. And number three, worst comes to worst. Jesus is coming back. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Yeah. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you, Father. We believe these truths. We will not allow our hearts to be troubled. Even if the mountain is taken away. Even if everything drowns. Everything. Nothing will make us fear. Because these three things are true. You love us. Your word is true. And he will come back for us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we go through in this world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall peril? Shall sword? It says, as it is written, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Killed all day long. It says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ that has loved us. He says, for we are persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything 
nor any creature, nor angels, nor anything, nor height, nor depth can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is the confidence that we have. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And nothing can allow us to attach our faith to them. Because our faith is attached to these three anchor truths that we believe will sustain us until you come. Thank you, Father, because our hearts are nourished and edified this morning. We ask that you establish every one of us in this truth and in all righteousness. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus? Wow! What a word! For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.